Hello and welcome back to the Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And we have just watched The Godfather Part Two. Which is really part one. Well, that's it's true. It's a prequel and a sequel at the same time. At the time. same time. That is a good is a point, pre-sequel. and I can't think of another thing that did that. So that's interesting. As a matter of fact, they're almost like it's like a bookends book to the, the which first is Godfather film. fitting because my understanding is that this is from the same book. Mm-hmm. As well, the some of the material one. apparently not all of it was from the book, so they elaborated on it. Okay, but it wasn't like this isn't the, this is from the second book of the series, no. right? Mm-mm. This isn't the Chamber of Secrets, Michael Corleone and the Chamber of Secrets. Although that's kind of exactly what this movie is. How was your week? My week was very interesting. I got to catch up, uh, well, on The Godfather, yes, which I hadn't seen in such a long time, but also was uh, seeing a lot of other stuff that we'll talk about later, I'm sure. How was your week? It was good. My week was good. Those life changes I mentioned last time, still going ahead, full full throttle. It's totally fine. I'm changing my employment mm. situation, but everything is going to be fine. Uh, also, I won a board game in the middle of the night last night, so that's always a good time, especially when you're playing against a person who's never lost that particular game, and you win wow. by two points. Take that, Corey! <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I'll lose the next one. It'll be fine. All balance will be restored. And we went to the movies. I liked it very much, unironically, so we're going to talk about it later. Um, That movie pass is starting to pay off, finally, now that I actually have it. How long have you been... I've only used it three times. I know, but how long were you in the process of... I ordered it in October. I got it in January. So, that long. And now I've used it three times. Because for the first month I had it, I didn't use it at all because I just did not have time. And now with my schedule opening up in the middle of next month, I will be going to the movies on the reg. Does that mean another podcast where I just talk about the brand new movies in the theaters? Maybe. It's a possibility. Does 400 people of there already do that? And by 400, I'm mispronouncing 400,000. <laughs> <laughs> um, perhaps. But we'll see what happens. And now... The main event. Everybody back from their bathroom break. We've all gone to the lobby. Snacks, breaks. This movie that we watched this week has a runtime of 202 minutes. For those of you who don't want to do the math, that's three hours and 22 minutes. There is an intermission at about two hours in, which felt like a good time for the intermission. I will say, at no point did this feel like a three and a half hour long movie. It really, we paused it because too much of it was an Italian for me to be doing what I was doing and watching the movie. So we stopped it at one point because I was like, I need to rewatch the last 20 minutes, which was actually only the last 10 minutes. And we were already an hour in and I really thought it was like 25 minutes. Like, it just Mm. goes. This movie came out on December 20th, 1974. Very violent for our Christmas movie. Top of the charts that week. Harry Chapin's Cats in the Cradle. So that's a tearjerker. Big things on TV included uh, a bunch of stuff I'd never heard of. And then Kolchak the Night Stalker and the Rockford Files. I enjoyed the Rockford Files when I was a kid. 
So let's talk about this movie. Mm-hmm. It's real good, guys. I, no. I know that sounds dumb because it won Best Picture. And right. we just talked about how much the first one was good. But it's real good. <laughs> <laughs> so now, as a person, again, going into it, new, do you feel like it lived up to the first film? I do. I do. Because there's, a, there's actually think an that open it, contention whether this is better than the first movie. I'm not going to make mm-hmm. that comparison because it's not the same. I think that the two together tell the story very well right. and do the, I, what I assume is do the book justice. Now, have I read the book? Nope. Am I going to read the book? Nuh-uh. Is the book even good? Or was the book pulp? I've like, read that's it's what good. I wonder. <laughs> I, I've never read it. It's it's a if you look at the size of the book, it's <laughs> oh good. It's it, like the War and Peace for America. Right. But I've heard it's actually very good. People it brought in a lot of people who would not read this kind of genre or even, you know, commit themselves to a, a book of that size. Apparently, it was really compelling. Yeah, it, it does feel right. though very much like a War and Peace or like a like a Russian novel. Right. Because, I assume that a lot of the story that we see in this movie of Vito's growing up was from there. I assume that it's told in a... Look at me making all these assumptions about a book I've never read. My guess is that it tells the life of Vito Corleone until it tells the life of Michael Corleone, and then that's the end. That'd be my guess. But that is not what these movies do, and that's why I think that the adaptation is very strong, because it takes... It chooses its points carefully. I got a little spoiled because I was confused by a line at like five minutes in. And I was like, I don't think that's right on the timeline. And then I also couldn't remember when a first communion was. I thought it was the same time as a bar mitzvah. It's not. It's not. It can be much earlier. And his son is younger than I thought he was. Although I'm pretty sure his son was played by an actor exactly as old as I thought he was. So we enter uh, in what Wikipedia is kindly telling me is 1958. But I did not know what year it was. uh, In Tahoe. Right. At the first communion party for Michael and Kay's uh, son, Anthony. Right. And this is an important scene because it really parallels the opening of the first film. Absolutely. And it's showing the progression from this very ethnically Italian family to being... I'm trying to think of a polite way of saying this. Well, actually, let me let me start this over because right. the first thing you see is Michael Corleone. I thought it might be the same scene that we uh-huh. closed on, but it was not. It okay. turns out it's a couple of years later. And then we cut back. And we actually get the baby Vito. Vito Andalini. Vito Andalini. Mm-hmm. He's with his mother and his, and they are at the funeral procession for his father, who has been killed for dissing the Don of Corleone. Don Chicho? Chichi? Chichio. Chichio, because there's a Chichi that's joined There is, that is a separate, yeah. Don Chichio. And then. Uh, Vito's older brother, Paolo, older we don't know by how much. Mm-hmm. Uh, not very, probably. He's probably mid-teens, mm-hmm. but Vito's over Well, you nine. don't see him for very long. No. Um, has sworn vengeance, and then during the funeral procession is shot down. Even though he's not with the family, he's like over a, a bo- on the other side of a boulder? It's well, a weird... A, it's a funeral procession, I think, right. and he's not... 
uh, with up, them. Right. Because so he's, he's off trying to kill brooding somebody. Or but something. I don't failing. know. No, no, no. He was not brooding. He was actively trying to take, because he had sworn that he would yeah, take down the Yeah, but not in Don. the middle of the funeral procession. Not, not there. I think right. he was because off the, the sneaking is, up. The assault is on the procession. Oh, that was Mm-mm. the impression I got, but it might be. No, I don't think so. Statement. I think that it was... It happened to be near the same place, right. but my 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 feeling was that Paolo was trying to do a thing, mm-hmm. and he thought that that would be the good time for it. It was not mm-hmm. the good time for it. So Paolo's killed during the funeral of his father, and then Mama takes little Vito, who is slow and doesn't speak, well, according to her. <laughs> right, um, and says, "Please don't kill my only living baby." Right. He's dumb. He's not going to hurt you. He'll grow up. He'll or let him. He's all I have. This that, and the other. And Don's like, I'm not worried about what he'll say. Mm-hmm. I'm going to kill him. Kill him. And then she's like, run! And she <laughs> grabs the Don, puts a knife to his throat, proceeds to not do anything and get herself killed. She gets well, shot. What she doesn't do is she tries to hold the knife to the Don's throat for long enough. So that, that Vito can get Vito away. Vito can get away. And she's running instructions to him. And he might be a little slow because he just stands there gawking at her. But also, I'm pretty sure um, he she didn't coach him the way that yeah. she should have made no, him coach Also, maybe you, you don't bring him with you? Then? I think that if she... that's um, what you think your end play is going to be? I don't... This is my interpretation of what happened. I don't know if this is the case again. Is that this was completely improvised. <laughs> but I don't think that she really had the intention to either kill anybody... To kill the Don. She didn't have the intention... To All be she, killed? Right. She was there simply to try to beg. But she had to life. know that that wasn't going to go well. Don't I bring don't the little one and say, please don't well, kill this. Well, I think this. she brought the little one in an attempt to both flatter him and to make him seem as if Vito was harmless. Right. But, and also look at these mm-hmm. nine-year-old puppy eyes. And right. that kid was cast really well because it looked like it could it could have been mm-hmm. a young either of the actors, right. but specifically, it looked like a young Michael. Right. It looked like a young Al Pacino, like an even younger Al Pacino. Um, oh, that's, and it, it's, that scene um, is followed by scenes of, because the, the first thing that we get in The Godfather is the story of an immigrant narrating to Don Yeah. Vito. Don, Don, uh, Don Vito, yeah. Um, and and Don Vito was an immigrant. Right. And this he film, gets smuggled out. We see his immigrant experience. He has to be smuggled out because this Don, who is just, he's a repulsive character. Bit of a monster. He sits in his chair in bright sunlight all day, you mm-hmm. know, enjoying the sun and dozing off. Apparently he's not, you know. <laughs> well, once you, I guess, reach Don, uh-huh. you get to chill out a little bit. Right. That's but what his thing like. is that he's just going to have people killed and he's threatening everyone in the neighborhood. Right. And he, yeah, so you hear over the, mm. through the town crier or whatever, don't help this child, you will regret it. But right. people help the child, smuggle him out in the... Um, like the side saddle of a donkey. Like mm. he's in a well, he's not a very pouch. Big he's small. And they put him on a boat, and he boats to America, which, mm. God bless the immigrants that came from any country on a boat. I don't know how you did it. I don't. There is a beautiful scene of a group of immigrants from all over, dressed in rags, Yeah, who are crowding over the edge of the boat to see and Ellis Island. And then you see the statue of Liberty right. behind them, and you're like... That's what it's supposed to be. And then they all get poked and prodded. It turns out that he's got smallpox. Right. And so there's he's also put in important... quarantine for three months, which may actually not have been a mm. thing that would have happened. They may have shipped him back, but 
There's an important point that we just missed, though, is that the um, he's marked in as Wait, Corleone. They, Vito, he, Vito Corleone is that's the name that they give right, him. Right, because they it's Vito Andolini, and I'm not sure exactly why the the uh, person doesn't want to like he can't be bothered. Um, but <laughs> so often that's the case. Well, that's so often that's the case. We have a personal friend and roommate whose family name got changed to a Scottish spelling of Huey, but it was actually H U I. They're Asian. Uh, mostly, they had Chinese last name, and that name stuck with them. They're now Hueys. You know, when I worked with kids from Southeast Asia, a lot of them had just random names assigned to them. Yeah. Or um, some of the parents would really quickly, because they were being sponsored by the Baptist Church, would go through a Bible and try to find a Bible name to name their kids, mm-hmm. because they realized they were going to be changed when they got to America. So you had random Bible names like Delilah, things that nobody should ever name their child. Right, but they're just like, this is right. the name. I found and in the Bible. There so were 14 Ruths, so this <laughs> right. is the name that I came up with. There aren't a lot of lady names in the Bible. N- l- let me rephrase that. There aren't as many lady names in the Bible mm. as there should be. So then we're back at the First Communion. Uh-huh. Michael's not making an appearance, which is bumming his family out a little bit. Um, we see... So we're jumping from here to 1958. 1958, is, right. Okay. right. He's, he's doing the same things that his dad was doing at the, at the uh, wedding of his daughter who is also makes an appearance in this scene, but we've got a senator there who, the senator for Nevada, or congressperson, but I think he's a senator, uh, who is taking a, a donation check, but then they have a meeting afterwards where he tries to extort Michael. Uh, Michael says, my offer to you is nothing. <laughs> so he tries to get 10 times the price of a, gambling license for a new hotel and uh michael says i'm not paying you anything uh the senator gets real racist and says some terribly anti-italian things and then leaves he'll be back now this is after making a public acceptance of a very large check a very large check yes um and And mispronouncing veto and now and later in the scene where he's making his racist statements you find out he can actually pronounce the name that's right yeah, so yeah. he's just being a creep. He's a he's gross. But we're also introduced in this uh, opening scene to a person who becomes really important later on the story, Mr. Pantangeli. Frank. Frankie Five Angels. Who right? gets very drunk and he's mad because he wants he has been working had been working with Tessio mm-hmm. and now has taken over for or not Tessio, Clemenza. Because mm-hmm. Tessio is deceased from mm-hmm. the first movie. He had been working with Clemenza and has now taken over that part of the family business in New York because Clemenza has passed away. Mm-hmm. Sad. I would have liked to see more Clemenza. And it feels like his territory is being encroached on by the Rosado brothers who work for Hyman Roth, who is Jewish, dot, 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 anti-Semitism, anti-Semitism, because these two groups of people don't get along. Mm-hmm. But apparently... Michael Corleone is trying to get in with Hyman Roth, the uh, Jewish gangster from Miami. And so he's like, Frank, look, you can't, you just need to make it work. Like, Mm. I'm not going to kill anybody. I'm not going to do anything. And um, Frank is upset. He's like, I didn't come here for food. Now, there's (laughs) something that Frank, um, an important part that he plays in this film, it's supposed to, we're supposed to contrast this towards the wedding of Connie? Uh, Connie's wedding in the first film, uh-huh. which is that there's a very ethnically Italian 
wedding. Right. And when we start here, it's been watered down. He he's looking for Italian food. He finds a Frank. Finds a canapé. Doesn't know what that is. Yeah. There's no. There's not really very much Italian food. They're outside Mm -hmm. on the shores of Lake Tahoe. Right. He tries to get uh, an Italian. He can't find an Italian musician in the band. He tries to get them to play Italian music, and instead they wind up playing Pop Goes the Weasel. Pop the Weasel, yeah. Which I think is well, a... Well, to be fair, too, he was talking to the musicians. He sees no Italian musicians, but he's talking to them in Italian. Right. You know English. You know how I know you yeah. know English. You're going to speak English later. So what are you doing? But what's important about that as a scene is that it shows that at this point, it's kind of a joke. They're not being taken seriously as what they used to be. No. And so it parallels the relationship between what we know are like tribal chieftains in Sicily in the early part of the century with now this sort of loss of identity. They're becoming American in not a great way. And Michael is not... He's not so hung up on the respect piece mm-hmm. of it as long as everybody is getting paid what they need to be getting paid. That's what it seems like to me. Now, he wants the respect of his family and he wants the respect of his clan, but he doesn't give a fuck if the senator respects him. Mm-hmm. He does not care. The senator is going to do what the senator is going to do and he doesn't care what, what he's thought, you know, Right. What esteem he's held in. And then that night, gunfire comes through the bedroom window, at, at Michael and Kay's bedroom window, and at the Lake Tahoe, like they have like an estate on Lake Tahoe. It's beautiful. And they're both okay. Everybody's fine. But he ends up leaving. He heads out of the country. We will see where he ends up. Uh, he says goodbye to his son, and that's a very sweet scene. I really like the male familial interactions in these movies. Right. There's a lot of hugging and you know touching on the face and kissing and uh, uh, between these quote unquote alpha males or these mm-hmm. tough guys, but they're still showing physical love mm-hmm. between them, the brothers and between fathers and sons all the way up. I mean. Vito and Michael, when they were both grown men, mm-hmm. still had that right. hugs and kisses, and I really like seeing that. I th- I think they play it up because it's an Italian-centric mm-hmm. thing, but I think it's important to see strong heads of family, strong male heads of family be affectionate with their children. Right. And and because they're very, this is very familial. It's all traveling. The authority travels down these family lines, right. and so they, they. But yeah, you're right. It's it's something I don't think about because I come from a kind of a background where that's also very socially acceptable mm-hmm. too. Yeah, but no, it, the Latin people right. tend to have that as well. But yeah. I, and, but I just I think that's an yeah. Important no, it's a thing. very interesting. I hadn't thought about it until you mentioned it. Now that you, you see a lot of that, and it's not something that you do see mm-hmm. in terms of relationship of relationships between men. And um, then we're gonna go. Back in time, back in time to 1917, where Vito Corleone lives in New York with his wife, Carmela. Hey, she's got a name. Oh, also, I will say, this scene, the scene, the wedding, mm -mm, the communion scene opens with mom and Connie having a conversation. Look at that. Does it pass the Bechdel test? No. Mm -hmm. But both of those women have have actual lines Mm -hmm. that communicate something about their actual selves. Right. So that's good. It's a step up. 
I felt heartened. That was basically it. But well, we also it. get a lot more uh, later on from Kay. We do get a mm-hmm. lot from Kay, and we get interesting bits from Connie as right. well. She has an interesting arc in this. But then we go back. Right. So we're going back. Vito Corleone is with his wife, and, and who is it? Uh, Carmela and Sunny. Yes, but. Who is Vito oh, yes. Corleone? Vito Corleone. And again, remember, this is all when they were all very pretty and young, right? Yes. All these guys. And it's um, Robert De Niro. Baby Bobby De Niro. And he does a great job. He's so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> he really is. He you does. have to understand, I am not used to that look on him. Well, you weren't used to that look for Al Pacino either. You That's were true. Like, What's no, he's also it? quite beautiful. These are very handsome men. <laughs> and Robert De Niro is doing a great job of, and this is the kind of acting I really love, watching people think. Mm-hmm. And you can tell in these scenes he's very quiet. He's yeah, he doesn't say a lot, and but you can understand he why his conveys a great deal. My, I, I, I don't know if his mother was trying to butter up Don Ticcio with, oh, he doesn't talk, or whether he genuinely had some sort of defect early on. He may have been late. Yeah, but he is watching people constantly and very intelligently the way that he, he's observing He looks people. like he's playing chess at all times. Right. There's this calculation happening. And it's, and it's not like it looks difficult. Like no. It's not like, oh, he's thinking real hard. It's just that he's like, hmm, interesting. Right. I will file that away, file and, that away, file that away. it's the same thing that you see Michael do later on. There's a good tie between... Um, and I wonder how much direction went into that, the performances between um, Al Pacino and As Michael Robert De Niro. And, yeah, Robert De Niro. Robert see. De Niro is much more closely, you're right, mm-hmm. following Michael Corleone from the first movie mm-hmm. than Vito Corleone from right. the first movie. Because, because he's not Vito Corleone when he's 25 right. or whatever this he is. This is the man who's making his bones, and again, making them by just... Not only watching everybody, but taking action at just the right moment, right, and knowing when not to take action as well, right. So what we've had, what we have is in 1917, he's mm-hmm. working at a deli um, or like a little store. He loses his job because the dawn of the neighborhood, neighborhood, who's just a, basically a street tough who shakes down all the businesses for money right. and doesn't appear to do anything, right goes to the shop owner and says, mm. I have a nephew, you have a job, right? And so he loses his job. Now, this is the one thing that I was mad about. This The uh, store owner had known Don or known Vito for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, you know, I, I understand that you have to do this. I see what is happening. I know you don't have a choice. You've always been good to me since I got here. So this is a person that he's been around for a right. long time. And then he goes and leaves, and then the, the shopkeeper brings out, like, a box of food. Mm-hmm. Take this. It's the least I can do. Take it for your family. Now, this is a man with a wife and a baby. Because the first time that we actually see him, we just we see him playing with his child. That's, mm-hmm. again, the first thing that you see is him playing with his son. And by playing with, I mean he goes into the room. He picks up the baby. He looks at the baby. Puts the baby back down. <laughs> That's really all you can do with a baby anyways, I guess. Um, and he, he decla- declines it. He says, no, I can't take it. And mm-hmm. I'm like, 
That is food for your wife and baby. Yes, but this is male you pride. Need to take it. So what does he do? He finds a perfect pair and takes it home to his wife. Now, we've also seen, there's another brief scene mm-hmm. of, uh, they're at a theater. He's with his friend whose dad is the owner of the store, so mm-hmm. it's also his co-worker who loves this actress. And so they see Don Fanucci doing bad behavior at the theater too really just being a dick and his friend is in love with this actress and he's like she's beautiful for you but for me only my wife and child which is a nice touch which is nice so you know that because my first thought was he's gonna step out on his wife but he's not that's not this again for those of you who are old enough to remember Catherine beller god bless her (laughs) she was the helena bonham carter of her time all huge eyes and dark long hair and her hair was very long that was her hair was it? Because I was, was like, uh, and she was an actress who later complained, "I'm getting cast for my hair, and because I look vulnerable when I bat my eyes." And so she retired well, from it. acting in the eighties. That was the, the part she kept getting. But she was a wonderful pro actress. tip. Uh-huh. If you're mad about being cast for your hair, mm. snip snip. It's not well, that she complicated. did it at some point, but again, she's you know she was a classical beauty who kept playing classical beauty parts. Gotcha. But so then we go back to current time. Well, wait, but we want to get into the fact that we want to, of course. Oh, and yes, the burglary. I forgot about the burglary. burglary yes. and this is where we meet young Clemenza. Clemenza, and he's Maybe played Clemenza. by Bruno Kirby, who is he's in Sleepless in Seattle. And that is where in I know. City Slickers, oh, and, City Slickers. and he's. Just all over the place. And he's a great, he was a great comic actor. Yeah. And here he's playing, and I love the way that Clemenza, he's very baby-faced. Without the mustache, he literally looks like a child. Yeah, which I think is why he has had a mustache since 1974. Right. And over the course of the film, as it goes along, he they pad out his frame so you can see him slowly becoming Getting, a Clemenza. Right, no, that's true. That later on. So the first time we see him, there's a bang on the windows of the Corleone's uh, apartment, mm-hmm. and he's like, hold this, and he chucks a bag over, and what's in the bag? Oh, a whole bunch of guns. Right. So he comes up to Vito a few days later and is like, do you still have the thing that I gave you? Did you look inside? And Vito, of course Vito looked inside, but his response was, I'm not worried about the things that don't concern me. Right. Like, you don't need to know what I know, but I'm going to let you know that I'm not going to be involved in whatever. It's not my business. I'm not going to you know, narc on you or whatever. Mm. And he goes, I must give you a gift. I can give you a rug. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to come with me to pick it up, uh, but your wife will like it. Because he's like, I've got, a, I've got a rug. You want it? Your wife will like it. He's like, my wife will like it, but who's got money for a He's rug? getting into character. <laughs> And Clemenza's <laughs> like, it's on me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And so they break into a dude's house and steal his rug. I mean, that's what happens. It's unclear whose house right. or why and the rug was the thing. There's a moment when somebody, a police officer rather, comes up to the door and you see a silhouette in the window. Or in was the it a door. police officer? That's that was what the I impression I got. And Clemenza is standing in the doorway with a gun drawn. And Vito's watching all this. But he seems to be aware that there's a better way of doing this. And he's very smart. That's yeah. the impression that you're getting yeah. from Robert Nero's take on the character. He's yeah. very, very smart. And so he starts processing how this is done and how it can be done better. How basically. it can be done better. Like, this seems a mm. sloppy thing to do in the middle of the day. But right. all right. Yeah, uh, so Clemenza yeah, because is... Clemenza's like, he didn't, he's not home? I can't right. believe he's not home. 
and they didn't even leave a key. And then they jimmy the lock and go inside, right. and I'm just like, this seems not, this seems like stealing. But then the baby face plants on the rug, and all is good. Um, right. And then we leave them for a while. They're going to be friends. Right. They're going to be. They're going to be. Getting oh, their they're going to be associates, together. and then we go back to. And this requires a little bit of history, because we're now going into uh, the relationship between Michael and Hyman Roth. Hyman Roth. And their attempts with the telephone company and um, the travel bureau and other people to make a sort of a delegation that went to Cuba. So, what ends up happening? So. First, they go. He goes to Miami, and he's mm-hmm. like, "Frank Pentangeli is was behind my mm-hmm. my assassination." He tells Roth that he believes that Frank was behind his assassination. Right. He does not believe that Frank was behind his assassination. Mm-hmm. He knows it was done from the inside. He thinks Roth was behind right. it, but he's got a. And he tells everyone a different story, so for a while you're not aware of what Michael's thinking. No, exactly, exactly. Um, and then, so in New York. Roth basically has his his arm there, the mm-hmm. Rosado brothers, kill or attempt to kill Frank in a bar. It was very badly done. The assassination attempts in this movie, bad. Not successful, the modern ones so much. So we've got one on Michael, uh-huh. f- failed. Right. Now one on Frank, he's garroted in a bar in the middle of the day. They didn't close, they didn't lock the door behind them. So in the middle of it, after they've already said Michael Corleone sends his mm-hmm. regards, a cop comes into the bar, and then a whole shootout occurs. You yeah. find out later Frank didn't die, but a bunch of the Rosado brothers probably did. Mm-hmm. And the cop was probably oh, taken it's like a mess. It's a People mess. are hit by cars. There's gunfire yeah, going on. It's, with I mean, yeah. it's amateur hour. Right. Up in here, it is not cute. Um, and then there's the trip. To Cuba. Now, to, just so that, um, to give a little context, first of all, for Hyman Roth, yeah. he's representing or a stand-in for the really strong presence of Jewish gangsters in New York. And, and outside of New York. Well, and, Apparently and, and also then, in Miami. Yeah. And this is where they were setting up Miami. Also, they developed Las Vegas. Right. Um, this and, is where Mo Green was a prodigy of right. Hyman Roth. Which is probably why Hyman Roth is trying to kill Michael Corleone right. because he knows that he killed his prodigy. And this one always, I was mentioning this to you earlier, when I was a kid, Jaime was a racial slur for Jews. I'd never heard of it. It's a very common which name. Which is fine. And it's actually, you know, apparently. And it's Hyman Roth. Right. That's H Y M A N. Not like the um, anatomical feature <laughs> found in women. That behind men, H Y M E N. There's a difference. But Be careful. So, uh, he's also. This is another inclusion of cinematic royalty. This is played by Lee Strasberg, right. the Lee Strasberg, and he plays a really good part. He's very good. He's very understated. He's very watchable. Right. He's very understated. He he gives the he's impression. He's a man who he <laughs> my fa- when the first time uh-huh. you see him, he has flung. He's sitting in a chair's. That's one person right. sized, and he has flung a leg over the arm of his chair just to give his balls some room. I right. guess, and I'm just like, well, this the, motherfucker is man spreading in a single chair. What like, is appealing to me about the way he plays this is he's constantly playing up being physically ill. 
like he's on death's door. And Michael at one point said he's been dying from the same heart attack for 20 years. Which I'm pretty sure is just the definition of heart failure. Right. Like, I'm pretty sure that's what but that is. every time that you see him, he's this weirdly virile figure who's covered with hair. Yes. Uh, and he's always has his shirt off. He does. <laughs> he's, he's got a beautiful wife who appears to be his age, right. but like trim and put together and always making food for everybody. Right. And But I just find it very funny that he comes across as like, he's played as a sort of very kind of virile figure who's always complaining about how sick he yeah. is. And he's also always, you know, deferring to other people in terms of making plans. When he's literally planning everything he's for everything. Plan- yes, but uh-huh. it's that plausible deniability. Right. It's but that he's, CYA. And again, for, for people who aren't familiar with it, there was a, a, a really strong presence of, and you might have heard of Louis Lepke or Bugsy Siegel or Dutch Schultz. This, there was a really powerful group of Jewish gangsters that were making, um, were responsible for a lot of what we see in Vegas, the gambling centers in... Uh, in Florida. So this right. is part of the delegation to take it over to Cuba. Right. So they all go to Cuba uh-huh. right around New Year's. Michael goes with Hyman and a bunch of like telephone company uh, builders. Tourist agencies. Tourist, yeah. yeah. Well, he's there for tourism. Right. That means uh, gambling and women, people. Gambling and women. That's what tourism interest into the tourism industry is. And they're making all of their plans with Bautista. Fulgencio. Fulgencio Bautista, <laughs> who is the president? Is that what he He's the head of the is? government. He's the head um, of the government. And until he, he yeah. isn't. Well, and that's <laughs> where Michael also is very aware of the fact that... And there's an interesting uh, line about how he... Well, he sees... Not an assassination, an attempt to round up rebels that ends badly for the police. Right, and the the rebels basically become a suicide bomber. He's got a grenade and blows up the himself and the police car. And Michael is aware of the fact that I can't get people to do this. Yeah, he's like the soldiers, and they're not being paid, which means that they could win if they have this kind of force. The rebels could win. Uh, Spoiler on Cuban history. The rebels win. Exactly. Um, Oh, at the same time, we should say there's been these interstitials of Fredo. Now, poor Fredo. Mm -hmm. He is married to a woman who probably was at one point uh, at least a dancer. She was wearing sequins at some point in her life. Yes, professionally. She's a professional sequin wearer, um, which is fine until she starts throwing out the racial slurs, and then it's not great. Um, she's an alcoholic. She's an alcoholic. Thing. Also, he is an alcoholic. Right. He's miserable. But he goes to Cuba. Mm-hmm. Michael is like, oh, have you ever met this Johnny Ola, who is like the number two, Hyman Roth's number right. two? And he's like, nope, I've never met him. But we know that there was a previous conversation where Ola had called him in the middle of the night to, to shake him down for more information on Michael. My guess is Fredo had a a Carter Page situation. I don't know. That's a very current political reference wherein he was an unknown uh, or an unwilling patsy. He got asked the wrong question at the wrong time and answered the wrong way uh, because he was either not expecting it or uh, too drunk to understand what he was actually saying. And there's a very touching scene where Michael's like, let's go out together, we'll have a drink, and they're talking like mm-hmm. brothers, and Fredo's like, why didn't we do this before? Like, Fredo knows that he has done fucked up, right. <laughs> um, because Fredo has given 
the intelligence that led to the original assassination attempt. He's like, you know, why why couldn't we have had this conversation before? And, you know, Michael's like, well, I'll always take care of you. And Fredo's like, I'm your older brother. Right. It makes me feel real shitty that you have to take care of me. And you always just send me where I'm not going to do any damage. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm not dumb like you think I am. He, he might be a little bit dumb. If He's anyone's ever been weak-minded in this family, it's Fredo. Yeah. But I also don't think that the, the alcohol use is helping the No, situation. I think that his low self-esteem, his inability, he doesn't... Sonny, He's a soft boy. Sonny overreacts. You um, do also see a scene from right. from the flashbacks of Fredo is sick as a child. Uh-huh. So they, like, cup his chest. Right. Um, so he's kind of weak, mm-hmm. shown to have, like, a weak constitution, yeah. quote-unquote. Well, in this scene, Michael also puts it to Fredo to entertain the people, which includes yes. the senator. Yes, we discussed that senator. Now, oh. the senator, in a scene that we didn't mention has is, murdered a prostitute. Well, he shot a prostitute in the vag. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm not going to put it that way. But he... I'm uh, sorry, is there another way to put it? I was trying to find a way that would be more... Um, you told me what it was. I didn't even know. She was covered in blood. He thinks he can fix it. Hey, no. guess what? There's no coming back from this. Yeah, apparently there was some sort of uh, erotic gunplay situation with a prostitute in a brothel. The phrase erotic gunplay. I'm like... trying to <laughs> not repulse people. And his gun, he, I mean, at the, Discharged risk, at, the risk of, um, <laughs> at the risk of making light of it, he didn't know the gun was loaded. Oh and he shot the woman and now, uh, and Tom at Hagen. A, at a brothel owned by Fredo. Right. So Tom Hagen is the one who comes in. So they cover for him. So what does he do? All of the shit that Michael said he was going to do in the opening scene. Right. You're going to pay for my licenses. You're going to give me all of this stuff for free mm-hmm. because you come in here like a fucking racist asshole demanding shit from me and being rude and disrespectful. I'm not having it. Mm-hmm. Now, my question is, did they set him up? Because they, I can't remember. I, here we go. And that's <laughs> something. He can't remember as it I've happening. looked it up. Um, there's some online debate about that, whether or not he was set up, because he doesn't seem to remember it. Um, but they'd played this game before. Right. So if he was set up... Right. I here's mean, a pro tip. I am never going to be set up for playing an erotic gunplay game, mm-hmm. because I have never played one, and so that is totally out of right. character for me. I'm never going to come out of a haze and be like... Oh, it went bad this time? That's never going to happen. Well, see, and the reason why we bring this up is that he's just a salacious... He's gross. Yes. Y'all, when you think gross politician, think this dude. Right. And so when he, when they're going through, Fredo is entertaining them, they go to some of the strangest and most bizarre dives in Cuba. Yep. There's yeah. a sex show that they go to, which... Is remarkably chaste for what they what you see. You mm-hmm. don't see the the woman that's brought out. You hear about the man that's brought out, mm-hmm. but you don't see it. Right. He's supposed to be what they call him Superman because right. of his endowment. See, that was a polite way to put it. He shot her in the vagina. Okay, so what is uh, Fredo? Now, this is the second or third stop of the night. Yes, he lets it know, the, uh, lets it be known to the senator. That uh, he was shown this place by Johnny Ola, 
and the so, man who earlier that same night he he was introduced to quote unquote right. by Michael and told Michael, no, I've never met this man. Right. You know, it's good to meet you or whatever. Yeah, and so this is what gives him. And away. then Michael is like, you can see it click in his head. You can see oh. where he becomes aware of it. Yeah, and so then they're they're at this they're finally at this like gala this big party with the government because Batista is there. And just after the so, just after the strike of midnight, or right at the strike of midnight, like Batista basically says, um, "I'm gonna go ahead and flee the country for my safety." I mean, step down because it's what the people want, but also flee the country for my safety. So all of the and and Michael had been stalling. Mm-hmm. He'd been stalling with Roth. He owed two million dollars, and he was like, "I just." He didn't have a good feeling wait about it. Right. Because I feel like the rebels might win. And if the rebels win, then all the person that we've agreed to all of this shit with will literally not be in this country anymore. And right. we will have nothing. And so he's holding back and holding back. That's why Fredo comes. He comes with $2 million. Mm-hmm. supposed to come right. with $2 million in cash. And Roth is like, it's going to be here when I wake up from my nap. I'm not worried about it. It wasn't. He... It's weird. The timing is odd. He is set up to have Johnny Ola killed mm-hmm. and to have Roth killed. Roth is at the hospital at this point. Um, mm. He was he'd been taken there for the, I assume the same heart attack. Ola is killed, but the assassin by the same by by right. by the same assassin that goes after Roth, who is when he goes to smother him, he gets shot repeatedly. Well, yeah. um, it didn't not go well because I think. He, he he postpones the first attempt to assassinate him because Hemmenroth is having a medical emergency. That's right. And he goes to the hospital and tries to smother him with a pillow and gets caught but by there a are nurse. Cops there. And then they just they, yeah. they shoot him. So, yes, you're right. The assassination attempts... Are, so that's assassination attempt number three mm-hmm. to go very poorly. Um, and this is when Michael kisses Fredo on the mouth and says, I know it was you. You broke my heart. You broke my heart. But... I have a plane that is leaving this island in an hour. You're going to want to be on it because there's going to be no way to get the fuck off this no. island. And yeah. And Fredo is like, oh, and he runs into traffic. And you see him get struck by a car, mm-hmm. not fast or hard, but mm-hmm. then and then he just goes off into the Cuban night where there's riots and shit right. because the rebels have taken over the country. Um, and uh, he comes back, or Corley, Michael comes back, and then uh, Fredo disappears for a while. And Michael discovers on coming back from Tom Hagen that Kay has miscarried. Yes. So he's just having a really bad time. Yeah, it's a, it's a real rough time. So, But Fredo, Michael, and Roth end up back in the U.S., mm-hmm. uh, and then we do go back to another flashback. And it's three years later, it's 1920, uh, Vito and Carmela have had two more sons, so that's Fredo and Michael. Vito gets shook down by Don Fanucci. He's like, I just want a third of what you're getting. And just right. for my troubles, whatever the fuck that means. Well, uh, and previously he had said, if he's Italian, why is he bothering the other Italian businesses? Mm-hmm. And the response is, because he wants money. Like, mm-hmm. that's that's it. He has no... And he's not doing anything. He's not... He doesn't trade in favors mm-hmm. the way that we find out, or, you know, we right. end up seeing him do. He doesn't do for, for the community. For better All or he worse. does is suck from it. 
Vito Corleone, um, in his later days, actually, he's protecting that community at the same time. Yeah. I mean, he's taking from it, but he's also protecting it. And you actually, as much as you don't want to, you get something out of this exchange. Yes. Yes. And with Don Finucci, he's this very theatrical man who wanders up and down the streets in a white suit. In a white suit in 1920s New York. And he... You're a dick. He draws attention to himself constantly, either standing up and leaving the theater in the middle of the performance and making comments... Or you going see, he's you. also got a big scar under his neck, so right. he's been through something. Some something thing. tells me that he's basically not the high echelon of tribal chieftain. No. Well, he lives in an apartment. Right. You see that later. Yeah. So how big could he be? And um, and cl- so he goes back. He's like, well, I don't know. I've got to talk to it, it's me and these two other guys, and we split everything equally. So I got to talk to them. Mm-hmm. And he goes back to them, and Clemenza and Tessio are like, just pay him what he wants. They have no desire to negotiate. It's just going to be easier if they just do what he wants. And he's like, and Vito's like, well, that's fucking dumb. Like, why would I just go give him? Well, the reason why Vito's in business is because he wants to be in business. Right. And he Finucci wants is to cutting off his opportunities other places. For his family, right. yeah. So he sees this as a threat, and he decides that he is, first of all, to his face, he's going to kind of accept... He, he goes and right. he gives him $100. He, now, he had said, I want $200 for e- from each of you. Mm-hmm. So that was the, he wanted $600. Right. He gives him 100 He's like, I'll give you more, but I'm out of work right now. So he's still, you know, pointing out the fact that, like, I had a job, you and then it. you took it from right. me. So work with me a little. And um, and then he he goes out, and there's they're having some sort of Festa. Lenten situation. There's Jesus with money all over him, mm. parading down the street. Very much unlike the real Jesus. <laughs> yeah, but he is. He's, he's covered in... Right. Dollars, um, and then Vito like stalks him basically back to his house apartment. Apartment. It's not even a house. Mm-hmm. You're right. It's an apartment because he's in. He's still in the city, and uh, kills him. Now this is the very uh, successful assassination. Yes, uh, this is yes. And Vito proves himself to be very smart. He he makes a silencer out of a, a towel. He or wraps a blanket. I think it's a blanket there. around the end of this rifle or shotgun. Mm-hmm. Which then bursts into flame, which is exactly what would happen if you wrap a shotgun <laughs> in a towel or a blanket and then you shoot it. Um, but he's, you can see that scene really But he waits, he's like, he's uh-huh. standing in the, he, he turns off the, you know, unscrews the light bulb so it's dark in the hallway mm-hmm. and he stands there and he waits and the dude goes and he like taps on the bulb to turn it back on and then he goes back and he opens his door, and he turns around, and he sees him standing mm-hmm. there. And he do- and still he doesn't make his move. He waits until the firecrackers, which is what you pointed off, right. the firecrackers on the street go off, so that people wouldn't be roused mm-hmm. to the sound of gunfire. But this, again, very much like the shooting of the uh, the Irish police officer and um, Salazzo yes, in the first film. Yes, in the first film, It's yeah. very much like that. You can see the relationship between Michael and Vito in that they both have these sort of nerves of steel. Mm-hmm. Where they will look the guy in the face and then shoot them. This is not, you know, this is they're very cold in that respect. Yeah, um, and then we bounce back to 
current time. Mm -hmm. And it's a little jarring here because um, you're seeing what look like Senate committee meetings, mm -hmm. and it's done through a filter that makes it look like a t you're watching on a TV right. almost. Um, and it is a pan, a committee, including the same gross senator that we've been seeing throughout the thing. Um, and they are trying to, they're asking, um, Michael Corleone is on mm -hmm. trial. Um, and he is being asked about his involvement in various illegal activities, which right. he denies. Right. He does not plead the fifth. He denies them outright because he doesn't believe that there are people who will corroborate. Mm -hmm. um, there's a low-level, that's Chi-Chi, there's a low-level guy who's like, who half corroborates, but his answers are like wishy-washy. Well, his answers and are very kind of flippant, and the fact of the matter is he cannot connect anything back to Anything back, because he never got, or right. got direct. He's the idiot who didn't carry off the assassination, got hit by a car in a gunfight. So Yeah, he's three levels down. Too, <laughs> right, so, so Michael Corleone never told him to do a goddamn thing, because right. that wasn't. Um, and then we find out that Frank, Frank Pantangelo is it's still alive, which mm -hmm. we knew, and is going to testify against him. He's in a he's being held on an army base that's for his protection. Right. And the idea then for the Senate committee is basically going to be to take him down on perjury, not on the actual because it's hearsay. Right. Not on the actual uh, facts or the crimes, but on sitting in front of this committee and lying to them. That right. is that is the charges that he's going to be um, uh, uh, sort of attacked with. And it, it's also worth saying that our horrible senator mm -hmm. at this point oh, gives a very public and, oh. proclamation of the, the dignity and the beauty of the Italian people. Um, who late, previously he had referred to as like oily in their silk suits and he was right. disgusted by the fact that they would walk among the... Right. Oh, it was so heinous. So he's, he's had a change of heart, let's say. And um, Well, and it was, don't let the a few bad apples spoil the idea of mm. all the Italians in general because most of them are hardworking and great people. Right. He's not specifically talking about Michael Corleone, but right. he is talking about gangsters in general shouldn't up. Right. The growing whiteness of the Italian American community, because um, um, that's really what's happening. Right, is, is that, that they're all going very sort of mainstream and homogenized, and they're no longer a part of their identity, which is part of what Pantangeli represents. It's mm -hmm. like he's the the past catching up with you, going, "Wait, this is not who you are." Right, it's not who we are. Who we are? Yeah. Um, and then we bounce back in time. And this one wasn't really at this point. You're in, it's informative, but there's not a great deal of plot going forward. What you do find out... No, you just sort of see uh, him building up his his sort of web of favors. And his legitimate business. Yes. Jenko. They've got Jenko, Pura, olive oil, and by legitimate business, you mean the business that appears legitimate, which they are laundering all of the money through. Right, but it is. They are making olive oil. It's not like it's... Yeah, you know, but... There is a, a an actual... It's, it's laundering money, yes, but it is a business... <laughs> Um, and he is um, he's asked by a widow to help um, 
she's being evicted because she has a dog that's not allowed on the premises. Mm-hmm. And he basically strong arms after the landlord understands who he is. Right. He gets her to keep the woman, the dog, and charge her less rent going forward. Right. Which forever. is how he winds up being better than Don Fanucci. Right. Because the woman got something. And mm. this woman probably won't be able to return. Right. A favor. And the way that he did it, too, was interesting because he offers to pay the rent himself. He does. He starts by saying, I understand that you're a, ma- a businessman. Mm-hmm. The The man says, I've already lent it or re- leased to somebody else, mm-hmm. and they are paying more a month. And so it doesn't make any sense for me to let this woman stay. And he says, she's gotten rid of the offending dog. Right. right. And then he's like, well, let me, what are they giving you more? $5? He says $5. And then he's like, actually, it's 10 And I'm like, actually, it's probably 2 But that's right. fine. Um, and he gives him like $600 or something like that. Or no, it's like $60. Mm-hmm. So it's the first six months. And right. he says, after six months, come see me. So he's, he's saying, I'm going to make up the difference for you. You're not losing anything on this deal. Right. Um but then he checks around and comes back and he's like, oh, she can stay. Right. And he's like, and you're going to let the dog stay, of course. And the guy's like, I thought the dog was gone. Mm, yeah, the dog's going to stay. And you're going to give her a discount on the rent. How much? Five? Ten. Ten. Beautiful. And so the guy comes back because he wouldn't just do what was asked of him. Right. Now you get disciplined. <laughs> Financially. It's pretty funny. That scene is very funny because um, I guess it's Tessio who's over here in this conversation. He's kind of laughing the entire time because he sees how this this person is so terrified they can't open the the door to leave. Mm -mm. Um, But the scene really is... And we've only ever seen him commit violence on one person. Right. But we're so all, it's all sort of under the surface and right. what else is he is capable of. The is very aware of. now of who he is. And so that's probably, like I said, it's an informative scene. It's not like a great deal happens. And and then it goes back to uh, Nevada. Yeah. Where um, Fredo was explaining to Michael, I mean, and it's brokered by Connie. Yeah. Who's becoming more of a force in the family at this point. Yeah, she is. She's stepping up. She had come earlier to... Um, to get money from Michael at the at the uh, communion mm-hmm. um, because she wanted to go on a trip with uh, the man that she wanted to marry, this sack of person who clearly didn't work and was going to live off of this this money. Um, they were going to get married. He says the 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 ink on your divorce is barely dry and you're going to get married. Mm-hmm. So she's been married at least twice previously because her first husband, deceased. <laughs> and then in... Under mysterious circumstances. Yes. So that's, what, 1955, right? right? And then it's 1958 and she's already been through another right. marriage. So, And he's like, you could stay here. You could stop going with these men who treat you like a whore. Like, he's right. saying this to him or to her in front of this man because right. he won't leave. Ugh, he was real gross. Ugh. And she was like, just give me the money and let me go. Like, she doesn't, right. she still is pissed. Right. And him. she's also still kind of a brat. She hasn't learned yeah. anything from this because she's still dressing very gaudy. She's, you know. And her role, though, as the person who's trying to make bridges in the family still goes on. And it's really important later on in the film. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, but yeah, I I think that the also the other thing that um, 
that we see there is that when Pintanjali is meant to testify in front of the... Um, yeah, we had, yes, we hadn't gotten there. So right. Fredo is talking to Michael and he's like, I was talking to Roth thinking that I was going to get something back. I didn't know he was going to try and kill you. Mm-hmm. He apologizes, but Michael's like, I'm not. I'm, I don't forgive you. I'm never going to be in the same room as you. I don't want to have anything to do with you. Um, and um, and then he says something that's very telling to foreboding, his second, yes, foreboding <laughs> to his second in command, and, and he says, "I don't want anything to happen to him until as long as mother's alive." Right. And I'm like, "Ooh, the day after her funeral, you better look out, son." Uh, Mr. Pentangeli is being brought up to testify. Yes, and. They can't get to him because he's on the army base. Right. An active army base, not like a decommissioned thing. Yeah. There's no getting in there. And what we see is that a very mysterious taciturn gentleman is brought in, and suddenly... And Pentangeli sees him, and then right. he's like, I don't know nothing about birds and no babies. <laughs> right. I, I literally don't know anything. I, I don't know anything about this man. I don't know anything about any business. I don't know right. anything. And they're like... We have a sworn affidavit. He's like, I don't, right. I don't know. <laughs> so what we learn is that that's his brother, yes. Angel's brother, who's from the old country, and he probably would not have looked very favorably on the betrayal of the Corleone family. You know, you kept your mouth shut and you did what you were told, and this yeah. is very old fashioned. And you find out later, like he could have had a big family in the U.S., mm-hmm. but he didn't want to. He wanted to live in Sicily and be who he was in Sicily and have that life. Right, and he continues there. the the theme of. You know, the, the, the tribal chieftain thing. You yes. know, it's like, this is what, he represents what Vito used to be, in a way. Yeah. Um, and that he took care of people, and that's the impression that you get. So, Frank backs out, but... And, and so, and then that's the end of the hearing. Like, right. th- that was their linchpin, and when it's gone, they've got nothing. There's nothing further to go. And so... So, he's released, and then... He's not released, wait, potentially? No, no, no. No. Michael. Michael. Michael is released. Pentangeli is still going to have to be in witness protection. That's not... That was part of their deal. Which I think they probably would have pulled that deal because if Uh the deal is because you testified. Right. Not because you said you were going to testify. Well, it depends on who else you turned over. It does. It depends on who else you turned over. It's true. It depends on who else you turned over and what the the stipulations were. But he's going to stay in witness protection. For people who, again, are... uh, Love the movies. There's a very young Harry Dean Stanton. And well, that's later. No, no, he's all in the film. You can see him during the trial. Oh, really? Right. And it was only afterwards. He's only got like one line in right. it. Right. When later. he spoke, it's yeah. like, oh, there he goes. Yeah. And it was like, is that Harry Dean Stanton? Oh, yeah, that's Harry Dean Stanton. Tiny Harry Dean Stanton. I think he has at least one more line than he did in the Avengers. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so. so then Michael and Kay have a scene. It's a That's a scene that surprised me given the year, too. Mm-hmm. Um, where Kay's like, I'm leaving, I'm taking the kids, and I'm going. It's right after the And her the explanation hearing. is interesting. And she's, All of your son's friends are the button men. Right. It's like, she's like, this is not healthy. And he's like, what are you talking about? We're leaving tomorrow. You're going to get over this miscarriage. We're going to have another baby. Everything's going to be mm-hmm. fine. And now, she's like... Michael has an obsession with this being a son, too. Oh, a son. It's a boy. Was it a boy? He wanted to know if it was a boy. When it was miscarried at three and a half months, yeah. Um. 
he asks Tom, was it a boy? And Tom's like, it was three and a half months. I don't think you can tell. And he's like, you can't give me a straight answer. And Tom Hagen's like, I, I, I don't know. No, I cannot. Um, and then Kay is like, are you, you're so fucking blind that you don't know it wasn't a fucking miscarriage. I aborted that baby. Mm-hmm. It was a boy and I wasn't going to have another one of your sons. So I had an abortion and it was an abortion. It was evil. And wrong, just like this marriage is an abortion, right. evil and wrong. So she went against her religious mm-hmm. beliefs because I think she believed that the baby inside her it, was this two thousand years of this Sicilian thing. Yes, you know, that's the way yeah. that she puts it. And so it really is. Uh, for one thing, it's his lack of a. It's his marrying outside of his own kind, I think. is a, a, That's part of it, yeah. It is what it is, because she couldn't accept this culture. And she's plainly now seeing it as a, this Sicilian thing. Yes. And he winds up punching the daylights out of her. He hits her. I mean, um, really bad. He, he. Well, it sounds bad. It doesn't look he bad. He steps into so, it, though. So it's mm. like he would have hit her with a lot of force. And her reaction... I don't know if any impact was made, but she looks like she got hit. Yeah. She's sitting there holding well, her face. I mean, she's Diane Keaton. She's a fucking great right. actress. So, um, And he says, you're not taking my kids, and he banishes Kay. Right. So they end up with a joint custody situation, mm-hmm. you see, down down the line. But he doesn't lose his kids. She wanted to take both of them. But something Because um, I think me, there's he, a boy and a girl. Right. He got the most point. of it because she's, uh, later in the film, they're visiting or she's visiting him. She's visiting him. Well, uh, he's got the all the money. House, right? I mean, she comes from a fairly well-off family, so she probably had some and, say, but uh, he's got control over how many judges? He's, you know what I mean? Right. Like, And this is kind of my problem with Kay as a character, because I think she is fairly problematic in this regard. As we mentioned with the first film, she knows where the money is coming from. Yep. And she was willing to live with it for a long time. Yep. And... I think that it's not until their um, their private lives, so to speak, or the private business is put in a display window that she really puts her foot down. Right. Well, also, I really think that the hail of bullets that came through that when she was in bed in the opening scene right. probably had something to do with it. Well, that, but again... Because she was pregnant at the time. As long as it's not happening to her, which is the bothersome part. When the heads of five families die and one born at the same, you know. It's not my concern. Right. It's not I'm going to drink my tea and not worry about it. It's none of my business. And when she saw that door in the beginning, in the end of the first film being slowly shot on her, she must have realized what was going on. She's being kept up. But it's years before she finally chooses to put her foot down. Right. So in some ways, the fact that she says. And then she does it so publicly. Right. Like, no, no, no. You need to ghost on this motherfucker. Right. You need to. When he is in Miami or wherever the. He goes by himself. Mm-hmm. You or take Cuba, the kids and you get the gouts. Right. That's what you do. You don't you, publicly blow up and yell at him that you got an abortion of his son. That's not going to go well don't for you. trifle with a guy like that. And that's kind of the message that everyone and seems to And I think she still there. didn't think that he was going to put hands on her. Right. And no, I'm like, she seems to be genuinely shocked that she's... But I don't know what other reaction she's expecting from this person knowing what he is. But I also like the fact that that is how far you had to push him for him to put hands on her. Mm-hmm. Because it is clear that that is not a, that is not a part of their probably relationship. probably the first time in both films that you see him lose it. Oh, he loses it. I mean... He goes a, straight Pacino. A, and <laughs> 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 
That's a great scene in this film. It is a great moment where you're watching his face. I'm going, oh God, he looks like he's about to explode. You know, you really. I'm gonna be, I was like, okay, get out. You need to move. You need to back away from him. He is literally right. going to explode. And he can straight up dead. Yeah. Um, and then we go back in time mm-hmm. to 1923, Sicily. Vito takes his kids, mm-hmm. um, and he goes back to Corleone. Corleone, where his family is from. And they go to Don Ciccio, who's still alive, mm-hmm. acting exactly the same way, only way older. Um, he says, his, you know, the, the guy that he brings with him says, look at this business, and he's doing, he's bringing olive oil, and we want a blessing for your for you know, give mm-hmm. us your blessing, because he came from here, and he and the guy is an old man, and he's like, "What's your name?" He says, "I'm Vito Corleone." He said, "You took the name of this town, but what is your father's name?" And he's like, "My my father's name, what was it? Andolini. Andolini. And this is for you." And he knifes him in the chest. It's a very Inigo Montoya situation. <laughs> well, he also... you killed my father. Prepare to die. The way that he does it, he just sort of goes. He slashes him in the gut. Right. Just yeah, and it was a. It had to be a small knife because Mm. otherwise, there would. I mean, he eviscerated him basically. Um. And then. Um. And there's a getaway where one of his his, one of his uh, his guys is shot in the leg, mm. like they're being shot at, and he goes back. He goes back to pick up his guy. And put him in the truck. And I was like, you're going to get killed. Like, or in the car that, yeah. that they had. This is Tomasino who gets Tomasino, shot. yeah. Um, who apparently is suffers a permanent disability. Well, yeah, getting shot by a shotgun. I don't think, was it a shotgun? I believe it was a shotgun. Oh, okay. Which is why he survived, because they kind of spray, I mean, not that I know much about. No, yeah, small put a hit on shot. Somebody, but, yeah, buckshot rather than. Um, um, and then we go back and we see Carmela Corleone, Michael's mama. In a box. Oh, sorry. It's at her funeral. And I'm like, oh, no, Fredo. <laughs> You're going to die now. <laughs> Michael appears to forgive Fredo at the Which is funeral. brokered again by Connie. Yes. And Connie says, I want to come back and stay. Yeah. I want to I want to come live here at the compound with you guys. And I want to be part of the family. Um, which I think Michael accepts, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Uh, Fredo is teaching, wants to teach uh, Michael's son how to fish. He says, I was the only one who ever caught fish when we were kids. And you know how I did it? I said <laughs> the Hail Mary before I cast my line. And every time I said the Hail Mary, I caught a fish. That's the secret. It's cheating. <laughs> it's mafias, <laughs> but... It's divine favor. It's fine. And they're going to go out fishing early one morning, but then uh, Anthony is called back because he's going to go to Reno with his dad. And then uh, Fredo and... Alinari. Uh, it's Alinari. Alinari. Uh, yeah, go out on the water and uh, he gets shot. Execution style, probably two to the back of the head. Right. Yeah, well, he's praying. So maybe he'll go to heaven. I don't know how any of that works. Um, I do. And it's a little sad (laughs) because he's so pathetic. He, he. It's hard to, and I He did not by any stretch of the imagination act the worst. He was probably, he probably acted the best of Mm. all of the brothers. But you can't cross. Right. 
he he was uh, I think he was not strong enough to be in that situation. Mm -hmm. And he was put in there essentially, and this is something that we get covered later on when Tom Hagen visits uh potentially. Yes. That this is a they believe that they were like the Roman emperors. And so this is the situation he's put into and and he's just not up to it. He doesn't have the ability to compete with these people, he doesn't have the ability uh he doesn't have the nerves of steel that Michael has. No. It, it's a huge pity. But um and then we get Hyman Roth. Yeah, Hyman Roth has they basically closed it on him. The the feds have closed it on him mm -hmm. and he has been seeking asylum. He went to Israel for asylum and they were like, No. Then he went to a country in South America. Mm -hmm. I wanna think I wanna say El Salvador, but I don't know if that's no, right. No, I don't think so. I think and they said no. Right. And so he ends up having to come back to the U.S. And he's being interviewed as he's walking in handcuffs through the airport. And he's like, I'm a retired businessman. Mm -hmm. I live on a pension. I went to Israel to live as a Jew. In my twilight years. In my twilight. It's been my twilight years there. And and he keeps just repeating that. I'm a mm -hmm. retired businessman. I live on a pension. People are like, are, is it true you're worth, oh, you know, $300 million or whatever it was? I don't think it was that well, Which is kind of Hyman Ross, again, his his amazing ability to just sort of deceive people to their face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like because he's unassuming looking, right, exactly. too. Um, so, and, and even though he and Tom thought about it, Michael has since... Mm -hmm an assassin to the airport and mm -hmm. he kills he shoots him right in in broad ass daylight surrounded by mm -hmm. reporters um and then he's killed by the federal marshals who are right there leading mm -hmm. the, like there was no that was a suicide well, mission again think about the death uh, of uh, Lee Harvey Oswald getting shot in front of the Jack news Ruby cameras. right so that kind of thing had happened. There's a the man who shot the man who shot JFK, uh -huh. yes. So, yeah. So Yeah, yeah no, there is a, this is a thing that has happened for yeah. sure. But, like... As fantastic as it seems, this has happened. And and Tom Hagen was like, don't do this. Mm -hmm. And he's like, no, I'm. he's not going to live. Right. This will not stand. And then Tom Hagen goes on another trip to go talk to Frank Pentangeli, who is in witness protection. So he's gone. He doesn't have any weapons. He's not... But he talks about, hey, because Pentangeli idolizes Rome mm -hmm. and the emperors. And that is what he sees the family as. Mm -hmm. It should be built on that blueprint. And he's like, yeah, you know how um, failed plotters against the emperor were really treated po poorly unless, unless they went home and committed suicide. If that happened, their families were taken care of. And they kind of got it easy, right? Like you get to get, take a bath and you just make some cuts and it's done. Sometimes you get to have a party beforehand. Right. Uh, Frank Pinch actually then kills himself in his bathtub. <laughs> so, I don't know. Did Tom Hagen kill him? A little bit? Kind of? Tom Hagen <laughs> let him know that his family would be taken care of. It's true. And so... He's like, was... here's a way out. We, can't, we know we can't mm -hmm. get to you. We can get to your family, though. Right. Well, they prove that by bringing his brother. So right. it's like, it's Frank realizes that he's, you know, there's nothing more for him. Yeah. And yeah, no. And he, yeah. he's, he's had that conversation previously mm -hmm. with the, the guys that are watching him. He's like, is this it? Is this right. like the rest of my life? Yeah. This can sucks. Yeah. Like, I can only play hearts yeah. for so long or whatever. Like, whatever, they're playing cards, whatever card game they're playing. Yeah. And that's when you see. Harry Dean Stanton. Harry Dean Stanton. He's yeah. like, 
He's not making any noise. Let's go check on him. I'm like, mm, okay. It's going to yeah. be messy. Um, it, it was. It was messy. <laughs> and then we go back in time for the last major scene. And we get basically the final um, scene of the film. Mm-hmm. It's not the final shot of the film, but it's the final scene of the film. And it's December 7th, 1941. That would be the day that Pearl Harbor was attacked. And the Corleone family comes together. So Fredo is there and Sonny is there. So we get to see a little more James Caron because he was not in this movie. Michael is there and Connie is there. Uh, Sonny brings in Carlo and introduces him to Connie. That would be Carlo, Connie's first husband. It practically ties them together at the waist. Yeah. He's... Talk to him. He's cute, isn't he? You have a conversation with him. Hey, go help her. But it makes a lot of sense of the complaint you had about the first film, which is why is Connie's husband, who he knows is beating her, why is he rising in the ranks? Well, because this is really Sonny's fault. Sonny pushed this way right, too Right, but hard. Sonny wasn't raising him in the ranks. Michael was, because he didn't raise in any kind of ranks. He wasn't in the family business until after Sonny died. Because their whole thing was give him a job, but don't oh, make okay, him part of the business. Um, and then Michael was like, I'm going to keep my enemies real close. Speaking of which, keep your friends close and your enemies closer is a fucking quote from this movie. What? What? That's what um, Mike, I think Michael says it to Roth uh-huh. when he's saying Pentangeli is no, the one I think that did he says this. It maybe to Tom Hagen about Roth. Maybe? I don't think I don't, so. I, I think remember. he says it to Roth, and I was like, mm, I think you're telling him what you're doing. Don't do it. But you never know. You never know you what he's up to. Know. You never know what he's It's yeah. true. So they're all sitting around the table. They're waiting for It's um, Vito's birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're waiting for him to come back. There's a big cake. Uh, and they're talking about the Patsies. Uh, Sonny is talking about the Patsies that have signed up to go to war for our country that doesn't care about them. Mm-hmm. And Michael's like... Oh, also, there's a lot of racist language in this Yeah, scene there's too. a lot of racist language it's, in this it's, like, Wow, I haven't heard those epithets in such a long time. Um, and Michael's like, well, I don't think they're patsies. And Sonny's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And he goes, well, I signed up today. I'm, I'm going to the Army. Or the Air Force, maybe. Nope. What? Marine Corps. And Sonny is pissed. And Fredo, sitting across from Michael, is like... Congratulations. Like, he goes and he shakes his hand and Sonny, like, smacks them apart. So, showing that Fredo is, like you said, the only one that really accepted Michael for who Michael started out as, which I think is why his heart was so broken. They both, you're watching two men who love each other deeply just die. Their relationship just... Just, And that's what is, well, not the heart, maybe the broken heart of this movie is watching this family fall to pieces. And Sonny's pissed. He's right. swearing up a storm. Tom is surprised. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say one thing. Well, no, he something. does. He does because he says that you know your father had plans for you. That's right. He and I, you, he mm-hmm. and I talk all the Many time times. about your futures. Right. And I'm like, how about he talks with him about his like right. what? Because Vito doesn't want Michael, who's the baby, mm-hmm. the baby boy, I should say, because Connie apparently was the final child to be a fighter in mm. any way. He doesn't want him in the business, and he certainly wouldn't want him to go to war. And they have paid a great deal of money for his education. Yes. Because he, uh, was, he had dropped out of school. So he keeps calling this. him college boy. College you know? boy. He's the one that went to college. Right. I, well, no, that's not true. Tom Hagen had to go to college because he's a legit lawyer. Right. 
And then Vito comes to the door and everybody goes to greet him except Michael. Michael's just sitting in the dining room by himself. Mm-hmm. And then it's a dissolve to Michael sitting alone by the lake at the compound mm-hmm. in Tahoe. And that is the end of the movie. Which is, it's, and it's a very interesting scene, final scene, the way that you bring it back to this family of people and, and what they meant to each other. And then you realize that basically it's all falling away from them. Right. And who's left of that, of that family? It's uh, him well, and Tom to and Connie. Him and Tom and Connie are the only people that are left. That Carlo's are gone. Fredo's gone. Mm-hmm. Vito's gone. Carmela's gone. So it's like there's, there's nobody. He's, he's uh, losing all of his people. I uh, admire the shifting facial hair on Robert De Niro. It was doing some good work. He's had some strong mustache game. Mm-hmm. So, recommends. Do you have a recommend? Yes, I have the same recommends that you have. So. Oh, okay. So we're going to have one big recommend. My mm-hmm. recommend, I, wa- I want to say, I want to say it. Go ahead. I am a grown-ass woman with a college education, and I unironically loved Pacific Rim Uprising. Now, why do you feel you have to preface that? Be- because it's a movie where giant robots fight giant monsters. Mm-hmm. Full stop. Yeah. <laughs> and this is something we explained in the episode that suddenly became the Godzilla episode not too long ago. Oh, yes. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> there isn't anything wrong with that. Right. If you're a person who hears that it's a movie about giant robots fighting mm-hmm. giant monsters, and your response is, that sounds dreadful, please don't see this movie. Right. It's not for you. That's mm. fine. I was very excited. I love the first one, mm-hmm. to be fair. I very much enjoy the first one. It's a movie that, if it's just on television now, and I'm not doing anything else, I'll put it on in the background, or I will watch it again. I like this one more than that one. Um, we were saying the casting of specific, specifically Asians to appeal to the Chinese market um, is a thing that a lot of movies are doing. It was sort of most egregiously done in Kong Skull Island where they put a very famous Chinese actress in the film and then used her not at all. This movie has Asian actors... Uh, Russian actors. It's got just you know As John Boyega. The exact now that you mentioned the exact same Asian actress who was dropped into the middle. It of does. Skull, yeah, Skull Island, where she did nothing. Now, she mind did you, nothing. Um, it was so disappointing. Jing Tian. Jing Chan, yeah. Jing Chan, who is beautiful. She is stunningly beautiful. When I saw, I'd seen. Kong Skull Island, where she has almost nothing to do. She's literally a sidekick Decorative to Asian, a sidekick. Well, right. Like, it's... Right. And I was... Oh, and then a few... My, cur- my mm. ongoing issue with Kong Skull Island is the two women in that movie, and there are two women in mm. that movie, could have a simple conversation on the boat that involved having one of them ask the other one for a sandwich, and that shit would have passed the Bechdel test. Those two women don't say a goddamn word to each other. It makes no sense. What are you doing? Why are these women here? Specifically, why is this Asian woman here? And the reason is so that Chinese markets would see that she was in it. But she was so underutilized, it was a crime. Pacific Rim did really well in China, which is probably why there's a bigger Chinese presence in this film. But 
what bothered me about Skull Island, like you mentioned, is the fact that she's such an ancillary character. There's no reason for her to be there. There was no reason for I, her to be I'm there. Almost, and she's a good actress right. who could have been utilized. When I saw a few, what, a month later, I saw on television Great Wall. With oh, yeah. And she that is, movie's better than it has any right to be. It is, yes, it is. It's a lot of fun. That but, movie should be uh-huh. garbage. You put a you put Matt Damon in a movie called The Great Wall. It should be trash. And it isn't. <laughs> it isn't. It's not a great. It's a great film, B movie. But though. yes, it's a B it's movie, a and it's B fun. Movie. And she and is great. She's in that amazing movie. in it. Yes. Right. She absolutely is acrobatic martial arts. She's just amazing. And to think that this is the person whose basic job in Kong Skull Island was to was, hold this clipboard. Right. Basically. <sighs> And I can't help but think that, and this is something that comes back in the 70s, kind of casting for foreign markets, is that when you see the film, their cut of it, that she has more scenes. So Kong Skull Island in China might have more scenes of her. Interesting. Um, hey, I would have liked to see those. I would have liked Unfair. to see them too. Um, but Pacific, yeah, she's, she's a clothes horse in the first half of the film too. John Boyega is walking um, he's really great. a stronger jawline in this movie than I'm used to him mm-hmm. seeing. It feels a lot like his Attack the Block character. He's like a bad boy, party boy. Um, but, of course, his dad was Idris Elba. Also, hey, casters, make a movie where they play father and son and they're both alive. Mm-hmm. Do that. I want to watch that. <laughs> um, the... Movies are, or the, the monsters are fewer, but used to better effect, I mm. think. Charlie Day has a real Sam Rockwell performance, mm. I think, because you were like, he's acting like Sam Rockwell. I'm like, he's acting like Charlie Day, but you've never seen him before because no, don't you don't watch things that movies. Charlie Day is in. Yeah. It's just so good. I just loved it. I literally mm. cried three times. I, I, <laughs> well, and there's a great, there's a great relationship because, um, the film, the part of the film involves uh, John Boyega being the son of, uh, of I guess it was Hugh Pentecost? I think it's the character here, yeah. played by... Idris. In the first film. And not being able to live up to the example of this, you know, amazing messianic father who right. sacrificed who his sacrificed life. Who sacrificed his life for the evil, planet. Right, so he has no ability to live up to that. And so he's so he doesn't. scavenging and partying. And he winds up being brought in by... Um, Scott Eastwood. And, and who, Rinko Kikuchi. Yes. Who played Makomori, who's a, a character His in the sister. Song. His He's, adopted sister. Right. And we also get another character who's uh, played by uh, Kaylee Spanny. Spanny? Spanny. I don't know how to pronounce her name. She's great. She's great. She's a young woman. She's mm-hmm. got to be in her teens. She right. looks young. Mm-hmm. Um, she's fantastic. She has and a she's great like, force of character. She has a great personality that registers really well. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking of child performances and things like Wolverine, yes. the, where which is a film I didn't really care for all the way, but her, that kid was amazing. Wait, so, do you mean Wolverine or do you mean Logan? Logan, I guess. You mean Logan? Right. You didn't care for that movie? Not so much. Oh, we're going to fight later. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, no, Pacific Rim. Yes, and it's a lot of fun. Don't feel ashamed of like, liking it. Go in. Mm-hmm. Turn off your brain. If you've seen the first one, it does a lot of the heavy lifting of the world building. Right. Like they don't have, they don't ever tell you what a neural handshake is in right. this movie. They don't movie. have to explain it to it anymore. So if 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 that's the, if you're not getting it, that's fine. A lot, yeah. Turn down your analytical brain mm-hmm. 
and just let the movie happen. And it's so fun. And this is an old person talking, but I know that this is a thing that's true for younger people because I've heard it said. When the fighting on screen is clearly 100% CGI, there are no, you guys, there are no giant monsters and there are no robots. I mean, we there are, are probably have, models. We're going to have a fight later. <laughs> but they're going to... But in, in, right. this, in this movie, yes. that's not what you're watching. Mm-hmm. You're watching pixels. Mm-hmm. There is a tendency in the Transformers films to make things move so fast that it is completely impossible to determine who is fighting what, what's bad, what's good, what I'm looking at. They'll zoom in on close-ups of pivots and like you can't none of that means anything this movie is edited and shot in a way where the fighting is actually very clear you can see what's the good one what's the bad one who's doing what to whom who's in trouble now am i do i sound like an old person saying no these movies these days are so frenetic but my son watching guardians of the galaxy Found had the same problem I did, which is finding it impossible to focus during some of the action scenes when there's just stuff flying around. Yeah, it's just... You don't have long enough to register what it is. It was, I think, what I liked about this film is the same thing I've said about uh, Gareth Edwards' Godzilla, which is make it look like this thing weighs enough yeah. to move Yeah, around. there was And there's a sense of, of, of weight and mass to these things to where when they get, you know... And of course, there's things that are silly that would be impossible... But at the same time, you get a sense these are really big things moving in such a way as to, you know, warrant the, their size. Right. But it's a really enjoyable movie. And it's shot from, the fight scenes mm-hmm. are shot from far back enough in a lot of cases mm-hmm. that you're seeing full, right. full forms, right. which is another problem that we have with, you know, bad people who don't know what they're doing in right. fight scenes where let's just show fists and elbows because nobody is moving the way that they right. would actually move. So let's We're not show that. We're covering the there's half a dozen. Ooh, we're watching the cutting edge. Oh, yeah. The, the, the yes. ice film where... Um, <laughs> not a person was ice skating. <laughs> right. Not a single it's person like was ice skating. There's constant cuts to like the legs of ice skaters yeah. or ice skaters in silhouette and then we cut back to... Uh, the lead actress kind of like whereas actress or her arms out face up right yeah. so that, that was pretty funny and I'm like yeah that's yeah. It, but that same thing is done in fight scenes right. which is why All we like time. like the born fight scenes mm-hmm. where you can see the entire human being and mm-hmm. the other entire human being and if they're fighting badly then well, we know it something that uh, that um, oddly enough that Fred Astaire and Bruce Lee had in common right they insisted on look at my feet yeah, I want you to see that this is not a double. Yeah, and, stop showing my face. And it was it was when uh, oddly, and there's a connection there when Fred Astaire was working, I believe Francis Ford Coppola, mm-hmm. that he's like, you're not showing my feet, you're not showing my face and my feet at the same time, and he got into so many disagreements with him that he just decided to stop dancing on film. So we also have Francis Ford Coppola to thank for that. Thanks, buddy. But um, but I bet you too. I I don't know if I like it more than the first one. I, I think, think I might like it more. I just, I really mm-hmm. liked the female characters in it. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I legitimately didn't know that I was missing strong female characters in the action. Because I love action movies. Right. I didn't know I was missing female characters until I started getting female characters. Yeah, and that's something that you're aware of because the, the story in the first one was very standard. You know, the, the bad boy who comes back mm-hmm. and, 
And there's an element of that there, but it's not John Boyega taking over the film. No. And he's very uh, self-deprecating. He is. A lot of the film. And the relationship between him and the young girl is really kind of very sweet. It's lovely. They, it feels like a, a sibling relationship. Right. It doesn't feel gross or inappropriate. The women are not objectified. Uh, mm-hmm. Objectified. That's the word, objectified. Um, there is a little bit of a like a love triangle possibility, but it's mm-hmm. never made gross, and the woman has 100% agency and control right. through that whole thing. And she she ends up kissing them both on the cheek, and they're like, that was confusing. Well, uh, right before they're about to go like, to their Right, fight, yeah, so be careful, like, don't die, be careful, don't die, and she kisses them both on the cheek. It might be a completely different kind of relationship for Pacific Rim 3. It's like, oh, we're going to explore that. Yeah, <laughs> so, I, but, yeah. So, so, but I, I legitimately, like, I always loved seeing women in mm. these movies. Right. Especially when they weren't just holding a clipboard. Mm-hmm. But I didn't realize, like, how much I wanted more of that. I grew up in a generation, all right? And no, I'm not saying dudes can't do this. That's right. not what I'm and saying. And in the generation before this, okay, that was the movies I was informed on when I was studying film, where women's jobs in these kind of movies was to run and scream and to break a heel at just the right moment and fall down, Aww. to have a dress torn, and mm-hmm. then to scream pitifully while they're being encroached on. Yep. And sometimes And they then die. to be scooped. Or sometimes they get carried away. And I appreciate the one thing I did, one of the things I appreciate about Kong Skull Island is that they didn't follow that. No, she was a bad, like, what is it, Brie Larson in that right. one? Yeah, and she's she, great she in has, it. And she has, she But every other woman is diminished to nothing. Right. So that, but. Because we get one. Right. <laughs> but in this movie, there was the young woman, mm-hmm. there was a Russian woman, there was. The, the Russian Asian, arrival, sort of. Yes, whose arrival. There was the, um, she looked Latina, the old, the sort of older trainer woman that mm. was the sort of interest for both John Boyega and Scott Eastwood. There was the, uh, I don't know her pronunciation, but the, um, well, me, M- Mori, Mako Mori, and, the, the, the and the the Chinese businesswoman who was the yeah. other actress that we were talking the about. the original Pacific Rim, I was convinced that she couldn't speak. I just she was so, oh right because she was she so, was so good convincing in Babel, and then the brothers Bloom. She goes through the entire movie without, without really speaking, speaking. So I yeah. thought, oh, I, I guess she doesn't yeah. speak. This is, but yeah, she's really good. So those five women, mm-hmm. and we also have John Boyega mm-hmm. and Scott Eastwood, and two or three. Strong cadet right. characters, uh, male characters, including one young Asian man who looks like he's carved out Oof, of steel. So or many crunches. Now, granted, when we see him the first time, he is upside down, doing, I guess, their leg lifts at that right. point. The weird crunches. Yeah, no, and and he needed to because those abs. What? So it doesn't. You don't have to say, oh, you can't put women in this movie and and not because it. Gets rid of all the men. Well, first of all, if it does, it does. But it doesn't. Well, because you have ten main characters. Mm-hmm. You could do five and five. They did five and five. There, and it felt so good. There's, the world is changing in some respects. And I'm glad I'm, I'm living to see some of it. Uh, that you have a film like Wonder Woman. Or you have a film... Even, I really like Atomic Blonde. Oh, yeah. Film. Um... 
you had yeah the complaints uh, only does all, all they do is fight and fuck women mm, like James Bond yeah you you've seen you mean 30, like every James Bond movie <laughs> which is really funny about that complaint because there's been what uh, you've seen five 30 actors. 30 of them? 40 uh, of them or something like that? Uh, you've seen five actors cover James Bond and that's basically what they do. Mm-hmm. Varying degrees of success. And Charlize Theron just sort of did the exact same thing. And then and, that was a complaint. Right. Well, but you've watched so many films <laughs> where guys are doing the exact same thing. But what I like about this particular age, you can have a film like this with a cast like this. When I was a kid, there was so little representation for Hispanic actors. Oh, that's true, yeah. You know, um, there was a TV movie with Raul Julia in it when I was a kid, and that was like where, oh my God, that guy. And he was, you know, one of the most charismatic actors yeah, for such a long time. So, um, but there was that thing. There was the one Hispanic actor that everyone knew. I mean, I used to have to watch Chips because of Eric, Eric Estrada. Estrada. <laughs> And that was like our way of supporting him. You'd watch some Ricardo Maltabon. Right. Oh, yeah. We watched Fantasy Island all the time if we knew that there was going to be a lot. Because there was so little that could be seen. Yeah. And that's kind of why with the Star Trek film, the recent one where Ben Cumberbatch was playing uh, Khan, it was a little disappointing because when I was watching the old Star Trek and they yeah. said, there's a genetically superior human being. And then it was a Latin it's, man. It's a Latin man. He's yeah. playing an Indian, but it's a Latin man. It's just like... That was almost validating in some way. And then to yeah. see it go back no, and be, become this sort of other thing where it's now, you know, an Englishman playing an Indian. But um, there that was... That at least is, like, colonially possible. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's, I mean, it was not, was it was not great. Singh, you know, it's like yeah, this, I, it wasn't so, ideal. But, um, yeah, so uh, it's like I'm looking at a cast of a film like this, and you're getting to see so many people getting represented. Yeah, it is like a rainbow, and it's cool. Right. And and they're doing it why mm-hmm. to market to the whole world. Cool. Yes, but the awesome. original film was directed by a Pierre Mexican Ball. director. Yep. And so he saw that film had because again you have a Japanese character in Michael Moore. Oh, also yeah, mm-hmm. the original one of these was directed by the man who just won Best Director at the right. Academy Awards. So. Yeah, it's giant monsters fighting giant robots, but also it was made by Guillermo del Toro. Who's a genius, and who won my heart by dedicating the film to both Ray Harry Husband and Nishiro Honda. Harry Husband just passed away. Nishiro Honda created Godzilla, and Mothra, and Rodan. And so this was a guy who created an entire genre, and this is the modern version of that genre. Yeah. But when you say, you know, like... I'm mad that they're going to put Kong Skull Island... Mm -hmm world with Godzilla world because I really feel like Pacific Rim world with which Godzilla is, world would be better which is something and more deserving. Guillermo del Toro wanted to see. He yeah. wanted to see Godzilla. And because leaders. you know what's going to happen to Kong when right. it meets Godzilla? It's going to get mushed. Because <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah, you're a big gorilla, but that is God damn Godzilla <laughs> and he's so much bigger than he ever was before. Right, yeah. so it's, it, that's why I'm not looking forward to King Kong versus Godzilla because it's going to be a ridiculously dumb hand It'll be like Superman versus Batman or something. Yeah. Where like, what like, do we have to do to this one to make this right. even close to a fair fight? But um, but remember when you talk about you being you're educated, you're enjoying these movies. We wouldn't have Greek mythology if it didn't have these stories about big monsters hitting no, each other. No, it's true. And yeah. You know, it's like half of our literature and half. So I think. And not everything mm-hmm. has to be a parable. Not everything no. has to teach you a. Well, Movies are escapism. Right, but this is very much, there's a scene in um, Unbreakable 
where Samuel Jackson's character talks about how comic books mm-hmm. are a form of visual writing that goes back to the ancient Egyptians. Yeah. And so in a similar way, these kind of the big kaiju stories where there goes back to the stories of Hercules or right. even older to the stories of Gilgamesh. Right. Where they fight these big dragons and monsters. Beowulf is a story about a man wrestling with a monster. Right. And so our, it pleases us on some sort of subconscious level that right. goes back way before organized religion, way before we had a culture. You have these heroes who did these amazing things, and whether it's a robot hero or a monster hero like Godzilla, it, it's it's a survival from an ancient part of us, which is probably why on some, you know... We there was a base it. level. When I heard what Pacific Rim was, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I want to watch it all right. day, every day. So yeah, these things, they fulfill a need for people too, and so that's why I'm like, I'm totally here. It, it, it's like I can stop reading The Odyssey, which is about men fighting giant monsters too. Right, but people... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and some people hear that and mm-hmm. they are just like, "That sounds dreadful." Well, then it's not for right, you. Right. And that, but, but if that sounds awesome, mm-hmm. it's awesome. My favorite review of one of these kinds of films was Roger Ebert, the wonderful Roger Ebert reviewing Gamera: Guardian of the Universe. Oh yeah. And his thing was, if you want to see a movie about a giant flying turtle from outer space, this is the best movie to watch on that subject. If you don't like that, if that line turns you off, then don't go watch then it. Then go watch it, because you know what this is? Right. That. It's that. And if you're going to Judge see it, it on that. If you want to see that, this is great. This Which is, is actually, I want to say, my final thing is going to mm-hmm. be Glenn Weldon, who you have issues mm-hmm. with, um, wrote the review for Pacific Rim Uprising in the format of a critic coming out. Mm-hmm. And taking questions from reporters. And I want you to read it because it's very much along that line. Mm -hmm. And it's also very much like, um, like a, a condemnation of the, the group of people who are like, Mm -hmm. that's terrible and I would never. Okay. Then don't. But you know what? You can always go see Michael Clayton or you can see Seriana or you can find an adult movie to watch. Right. Right. So it's not like this is taking away the audience for that. Okay. Just, and I think I want to come to an end because something right. just happened with Reaper and I don't know if okay. we lost the first two and a half hours oh, or what. Jesus. I'm hoping that. So that's going to bring us to an end this week. Thank you so much yeah. for listening. Um, if you would like to reach out to us, we are available on Facebook. We have a Facebook group and a Facebook page. Just Google or Facebook <laughs> search mm-hmm. The Latecomers. Um, we can be emailed at latecomerspod at gmail.com uh, or we're on Twitter at latecomerspod. Um, Lemuel's book is available on Amazon at Sealing Night, S-E-E-L-I-N-G, Night. That's a book of short creepy stories creepy short stories yes. both of those things and um i am available on twitter at amity armstrong and at amityarmstrong.com and we appreciate your listening to us for so many hours with the <laughs> godfather uh, we hope you enjoyed it and we will uh, talk to you next week when we discuss all the president's men probably yes All right. Thanks so much. And remember, better late than never. You didn't say it. Better Better late late than than never. never. We did it. (laughs) 